I'm great, Matt. Thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> and thanks for the introduction. That was uh, it was interesting how at the start you had three listeners, and by the time you finished, you had ten. Yeah, well, you got to inflate those numbers. Mm. <laughs> you got to pump them up just in case, like somebody, uh, an advertiser is listening. I'm trying to, you know, get some of those, uh, some of those extra bucks on the side. All 22 listeners, you know, they're yeah listening. And uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I figured that you were upset with the Johnny P uh, nickname, weren't you? I'm uh, not a fan. Um, not a fan. Not a fan. We'll no. we'll try and uh, we'll try and work something out uh, a, a little bit towards the end. Okay, we'll we'll try and work something out as we go. Uh, basically, welcome back, folks, and thank you for uh, being patient here with us getting back into reeling the years. Uh, just a quick note. Obviously, we've got a uh, co-host here, and I will shut up in a little bit and let John talk a bit more. Uh, but instead of doing what we would normally do, which was taking a year and going through all the movies that came out and kind of discussing what should have actually won Best Picture, we're going to break it up into a little bit more manageable chunks. So what our goal is going to be over the next uh, couple weeks here is we are going to be discussing each movie uh, in its own separate episode uh, that came out during a certain year. And what we're going to do is we're going to break it down like we uh, would normally do. Uh, but this way we have an opportunity to have a little bit more in-depth of a discussion. Uh, we can get a bit more into it, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and we can kind of discuss where it fits on the pantheon of that year and if it deserves to uh, stick around and, uh, and make our Oscar cut. Okay, so that's what we're going to be doing. And uh, we're going to announce what, we're, uh, what year we're going to start with. I'm very excited about this. Uh, although you probably already know if you're looking at the title of the podcast, I just realized. So uh, if you didn't, don't do it now, okay? Because you're going to spoil the, the surprise. Uh, but we are going to be breaking down uh, each year as we go. And once we finish all the movies that were nominated in a certain year, uh, essentially what we're going to uh, turn around and do is we're going to have a recap episode. And we're going to say who deserved to win Best Picture. Maybe we'll get a little bit into director, screenwriter, some of the acting nominations, that sort of thing. And we'll just try and get a better understanding of uh, what the movie scene was like that year and if the correct movie and the correct people walked away with some hardware. Okay, so that's kind of the reboot right here. Uh, we're, going to, uh, we're going to get into it a little bit more uh, in just a moment. But first, uh, I just wanted to say that, uh, John, really happy to have you on the show, man. Thanks so much for, for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, can I actually ask a question about the new format? Yes. Because I, yes, please you know, do. when you say it in a text and then when I hear you say it out loud, I'm like, oh, uh, so we're doing like every movie that was nominated for best picture. Like, yeah. So like we're going to go through thing and then we'll, we'll talk about each movie and like the ones we like and then, uh, the ones that we don't like or whatever and, and kind of then do a recap episode at the end. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Cause I, I'm just thinking about like, um, I don't know how how much I can talk about uh, some some of the other movies that were nominated this year. You know what? That is an excellent point, John, and I'm so happy that you brought it up uh, because what we can do is we can maybe uh, double down on some of those movies that aren't as good as the uh, as some of the ones that we're going to be talking about, like the one sure. that we're going to be talking about today. Because mm -hmm. we can definitely talk about the movie uh, today for quite a bit. Uh, but maybe when we get into um, you know. Well, actually, I have a lot to say about the blind side as well. So maybe not for all the, uh, <laughs> the, the good reasons. I'm, I'm not. Is this doubt also? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Doubt comes out next year. Oh, next. Okay. That's why. I'm, yeah. yeah. So okay. we, we can double down on doubt. Cool. No, no, no problems there. I don't. Double down on doubt. Sounds good. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, today, I think because we're introducing stuff, we're just getting started. And also, we got a great movie to talk about first. We're going to um, do a separate episode for that one. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, John, I guess it is time to uh, to get down to it. I didn't really like the Johnny P uh, nickname at the beginning. So why don't I give you a new na- nickname? Okay. Johnny PTA. What do you think? It's still really bad, but thank you. It is, it is still really bad, but that was my attempt at a segue. So why don't you run away with it, uh, Johnny PTA? Why oh, wow. You, you, just, uh, you just like teed me down. right up there now and you know, yeah. had to knock it out of the park. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no today, what are we talking about today? <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, There Will Be Blood. Uh, it's a 2007 film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, also known as PTA. Uh, no one's ever called Wow, look at that. that. I know. Um, it was uh, nominated for eight Oscars. Uh, it won two of them. Daniel Day-Lewis, obviously, winning his second best actor. And uh, Robert Elswit from Cinematography. I actually don't know if he's won any others. Um, I don't. I don't know much about his filmography, but uh, yeah, it won those two. It did not win. It's actually a longer list, oddly. Um, did not win best <laughs> picture, best director, adapted screenplay, art direction, film editing, or sound editing. Um, that is that is very true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it it only won two of its eight that it was up for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a it's a 2007 film starring Daniel Day Lewis as a. I think he starts out as a silver prospector, but he ends up being a gold, uh, an oil prospector, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. And just his greed holds no bounds as he tries to accumulate uh, more wealth. Yeah, that that's actually a really good synopsis of the film. I know it's like, it's not really super heavy on the plot. And I think we're going to get into that uh, a little bit later when we discuss it in a bit more detail. Uh, but I was trying to figure out a way to kind of sum it up right there, but I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It's not heavy on plot, is it? It's, it's, it's that's a good thing. Kind of a theme of actually 2007 Oscars. It is actually, but, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I, and if I could uh, maybe backtrack a little bit uh, here, because I was going to mention it a little bit earlier, uh, John. But uh, the reason, as you can obviously tell, because you mentioned it, uh, we're starting in 2007, and I think this is a pretty good uh, year to get started on. Uh, we didn't want to go too far back with the the movie reviews. Uh, we might do that in the future if we uh, get to that point. Uh, but 2007 felt like a good time to to get started, I think, for, for both of us. Because I don't know about you, but I felt that, like, that era was when I first started, like, really watch uh, movies and actually start to care about certain things beyond Agreed. if I just liked yeah. it or not. Yeah. Yeah. So we were both about midway through high school. I should also say we're, we're childhood friends. Um, not that um, anybody probably... Yeah. On, on it. On <laughs> childhood again, acquaintances. Friends, yeah. <laughs> I'd say, right? Like we hung right. out in grade right. one a bit, and then what year did Enter the Matrix come out? The video game. I distinctly remember playing that at your that, house. Yes, we yes. still lived in uh, near where I grew up, but then you know we weren't mm-hmm. friends for a while until grade mm-hmm. English. We were we were not friends because they didn't make a uh, sequel to the video game. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> That's fair. Which I felt was yeah. Which was which was awful, yeah. But uh, no, we were, uh, yeah. It was kind of weird because we uh, we hung out a lot and then we kind of didn't. Uh, but then we started ending up. I think we just ended up in the same classes again. That's honestly yeah, and uh, what happened. We 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 became friends like right around when this movie came out. Actually, uh, exactly. Been, yeah, been best friends since then. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and this was also, I think, the year that I really started to pay attention to like the actual like Oscars. Oh yeah. I I have like some small memories of like 
Martin Scorsese winning uh, the year before for The Departed, but like 2007 was like the first uh, year that I remember watching. I distinctly remember Daniel Day-Lewis winning. Uh, and I remember uh, No Country for Old Men winning. So I, I, that's like my first fully formed Oscar memory. Hmm. Uh, and then we, I, I mean, we both basically have watched everyone since then. Uh, and just, I think, grown increasingly more <laughs> frustrated over the years uh, with uh, kind of some of the decisions and some of the uh, uh, the maybe surprise winners. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're here to we're here to set things straight. <laughs> Would you say? Yeah. Yes. Try our best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We'll we'll try our best. Also, the world uh, something that it, exactly more than anything else, mm-hmm. right? Uh, don't <laughs> more than anything else. Uh, yeah. Uh, hot takes uh, from a decades old. Uh, Oscars are definitely at the top. <laughs> uh, but I also, and this is kind of just a nice side effect of it. I have really appreciated going through and watching movies that I haven't watched since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, it, a funny story. We actually watched this one recently. We watched this on the night of my, uh, the night before my wedding. Actually, yeah, we did together of, of all movies to watch. We watched there will be blood. Uh, and I was a little bit worried about sitting down and watching it again, basically uh, just a few months after, but Oh man. It just it got a lot better, so I'm I'm very excited to kind of chat about uh, it with you today. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But before we get into it, I gotta ask you, John, uh, what you drinking? Um, I well, I wanted like like we were talking about. Well, I was really trying to find a milkshake IPA just for like mm-hmm. the final scene in the movie, um, but I couldn't find one. So mm-hmm. I am drinking a, a hazy IPA from Wellington Brewery called. Uh, all weather is passing, um, mm-hmm. and I just—it's—it's uh, it's, it was described as creamy, so I was like, so close. <laughs> and uh, it, the the can has this like interesting artwork on it that I thought was really funny. It's like a, it's like a vignette, like six different frames of like a comic or something. Mm-hmm. And so at the top left is like someone digging a little hole and planting seeds, and then it waters Perfect. and they grow a tree, and the tree gets big, and then they make lemonade out of it. Um, uh, just like the seeds of the future, uh, I don't know. It seemed as close to fitting, uh, aside from just like going to Harvey's and getting a milkshake, uh, as I can. Get. Very true. Yeah. Very true, and that is so funny. So we ran into the same issue here. So okay, uh, well, what are you I, I should maybe have. I, I should have teed this up a little bit better. I realized I just I looked at my notes and I, I said it. But in what you drink, and we're gonna each have a a drink or a cocktail or or something like that that we feel best kind of represents the movie that we're going to be discussing today so we can have some fun with that as we go along obviously with there will be blood we both thought milkshakes right away uh, if you haven't seen the movie we'll, we'll talk about why in a little bit but if you have i know that you probably know what we're talking about uh, so we both looked for some milkshake ipas i also couldn't find one <laughs> i feel like just a few months ago that was like 90 percent of the stock uh, but i couldn't find one either so instead i went with something from allure brewing uh, called lodestar uh, with plum uh, but the reason that I picked it is because it's a, it is a sour beer. It's not a milkshake. Uh, but on the top of it, there is a giant squid. Uh, that is the picture. I realize I'm holding it up to the camera, but you can't see it, John. And neither can the, the people listening uh, at home. Uh, <laughs> but we've got a, uh, a lovely squid at the top here. And uh, squid can like shoot out like ink pockets. or uh-huh, air, right? there you go. And also with all its little tentacles, they kind of look like straws. So uh-huh. they're going to be drinking up my... Yeah, exactly. So that is what I am drinking today. Uh, have you opened your beer yet, John? I have, yeah. Okay, well, Sorry. John is taking uh, away a possible ASMR uh, moment from you, but I will, uh, I will make up for that. So here we go. 
Oh God, there's fizz everywhere. Okay. Well, I just poured half of that down to my, this is going to be a recurring theme. I feel I'm going to spill on myself. Let uh, me just say I opened it on purpose already. (laughs) Sorry to all of the ASMR fans, uh, but I did not want to spill it on myself in the middle of recording. Again, all 27 of our ASMR fans uh, listening. Well, you know, all 31 (laughs) of them, you know, they cared. Um, Yeah, exactly. There's a little quote on the bottom of this one. Up my beer, I didn't notice. It's <laughs> underneath the comic. It says, "Good things take time. Good times will come." Well, there you uh, go. I don't know. It feels like some <laughs> some heavy sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I love it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, John, you already introduced the uh, the movie here. Okay, I'm mm-hmm. just going to really quickly run down some of the familiar faces. It's not a huge cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Daniel Day Lewis, like you said. He. I mean, he is the movie, right? Uh, he plays Daniel Plainview, our protagonist. Uh, he is in basically every single shot of the film. Uh, but beyond that, you have the antagonist. You have Paul Dano uh, pulling double duty as the Sunday twins, both Paul and Eli Sunday. Uh, they are the... Um, uh, Paul Sunday is only in a few scenes, but Eli is the is the main antagonist. He is the preacher of the town that Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Plainview, is, uh, is trying to uh, drill in. Uh, and they kind of go back and forth uh, against each other. Uh, you have Kevin J. O'Connor as Henry, uh, Daniel Plainview's possible brother. Uh, you have Dylan Frazier as his adopted son, H.W. Plainview. You have Siren Hines, who most people would know as uh, Aberforth Dumbledore. Uh, I think he has uh, a bit part what? as uh, Daniel Plainview's uh, right-hand man. Yeah, Kieran Hines. When did he play Dumbledore? He played Aberforth Dumbledore. Elvis's brother. Elvis's brother. Elvis's. Oh, I, that's not what I think of when I think of Kieran Hines. Sorry. What do you What do you think about? Uh, um, he's in um, he's Mance Ryder in Game of Thrones. Oh, oh, is he? Yeah. I, see, I never. Really, oh, nice, nice. I didn't know that. Well, now you learned something. I did learn something, but John, you're about to learn something right now as well. <gasps> There is, and like we said, there will be blood. Very limited plot, okay? Most people in the background. There's actually a very famous person in the background that we have both missed on our multiple viewings. Oh, this is the one thing I was going to talk about later. I know who it is. This is the last thing. Oh, you know who it is? Am I ruining it for you? That's okay. Okay, well, we also have, uh, for all the BoJack Horseman fans out there, we have Mr. Peanut Butter himself, Paul F. Tompkins, as uh, Prescott, uh, one of the town leaders in the background. He shouts at uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, I keep calling him Daniel Day-Lewis, sorry, Daniel Plainview, uh, to stay and drill in their town, but he leaves. It's right at the beginning. It's a blink and you might have missed it. It's because everybody has a mustache in this movie. So uh, That's what, and that's how I recognize Paul F. Tompkins. So, anyway. Uh, I'm super happy to have learned that because I did not know that. But uh, Ooh, I have also separate am, facts. I, I'm excited. I know. I wasn't, like, um, as taken with BoJack Horseman as you were, and I just don't recognize this person's voice. Uh, that's true. Sorry. Yeah. He's also a very good Twitter follow. Uh, he oh, okay. is a very, very funny human being. A oh, very nice well, person. I, uh, well, if I use Twitter, then, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Well, I'm very excited to hear what your fact is uh, towards the end of this. It's sure. Very good. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. So, anyway, Paul F. Tompkins is in There Will Be Blood. Uh, Blinken, you might have missed him. Uh, but he is uh, fantastic. So, I was happy to notice that he was in there. Okay. Yeah. Okay, well... Uh, Obvious spoilers alert. Uh, spoiler alert is going to be uh, in effect as we kind of talk about this movie. I don't really want to go through every scene bit by bit. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it is probably best to jump into uh, kind of our uh, discussion section, which we're going to be calling First Thoughts, Double Takes, and Three Takeaways. So we're each going to have three points that we want to bring up. It could be something that we appreciated about the movie, something that really bothered us, uh, something that we found interesting, whatever it is. And we'll just kind of bounce it back off each other, okay? Cool. Uh, just in like, uh, in, uh, I, I wasn't listening very well, but you've called them uh, <laughs> first, first, first Thoughts and Double Takes? First thoughts, that, double takes, and three takeaways. Three takeaways, right. So for the first thoughts, I was actually thinking it would be kind of neat if we uh, both uh, uh, like tried to think about it from like a uh, 16-year-old John and Matt perspective. And then Ooh. for the double takes, you know, we could talk about the time we watched it on the day before your wedding. Well, this is a this is a very interesting concept. Yeah, as you can see, we're basically <laughs> we're doing this as we go, which I love. This is great. I like that idea a lot. Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't, well, well I'll, I'll start because I kind of just threw that at you. But um, I remember watching this and um, not being, you know, like uh, admiration isn't a word that comes to mind. But like as a 16 year old, mm -hmm. there's lots of things that you like want and you don't understand the world. And I don't mm -hmm. think I really uh, at the time like understood that. Uh, I mean, earlier you referred to Daniel Plainview as the protagonist. And I'm not quite sure uh, that. Uh, he does anything pro uh, for anyone other than mm. himself, um, which mm -hmm. is like kind of like a difficult concept to kind of understand. I think as like a sixteen-year-old, um, mm -hmm. I think it was. I know I watched it before the Olympics or before before the Oscars. Sorry. Um, yeah. So I would have been either sixteen or turning seventeen. Yeah. Grade eleven or grade twelve, and uh, just like yeah, again, not admiration isn't a word that comes to mind, but like. The first time I watched it, I really felt uh, like, you know, look at all that stuff that guy has and not understanding why, you know, his loneliness at the end, uh, like not understanding why he was like lonely mm -hmm. because he's like mm -hmm, pushed mm -hmm. everyone away in like the name of accumulating more oil and things mm -hmm. um, like, you know, we can't possibly make a friend. So uh, just like not getting the ending is like, yeah, is like. Like, I remember just being like, I know that was good. I don't know why. And yeah. It's like a common theme. I still feel that way about lots of movies, especially only after watching them one time. So, uh, mm -hmm. I also just remember my mom, uh, like, enjoying watching it and just hating mm -hmm. thinking about it after the fact. Uh, right. Which kind of makes sense to me now. Like, uh, she's just like, this is a horrible a movie about a horrible, horrible man. Mm -hmm. and what he'll do to better himself financially to just forever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, re I really like the way that you worded it there, uh, John, uh, towards the uh, beginning of that, when you said, like, how can you, like, have a protagonist that is not really pro-anything? Mm-hmm. Right, because we're we're so like conditioned to try and like empathize and kind of like match up with a lead character or somebody who's going through a hardship that it's really difficult for us to be like, I hate this guy or this guy's a bad person. Right. right? So even like, though we're we're following his story, uh, you you don't really root for him too much uh, throughout. No. Yeah, you don't root for him at all. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I had I had. I had 
thought of it wording it that way. I also came up with the idea of trying to talk about it as sixteen year old, uh, uh, like when you were just introducing this segment. Yeah. So uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it all the way through, but I, I think like how I felt, I guess I'll capture that a little bit. Uh, what what was your first screening? I don't remember what it's called. Well, what's I called? I really like this kind of uh, curveball here actually because I remember. And this is why I was so worried to to rewatch it with you um, over almost like 15 years after I watched it in the beginning, because mm-hmm. I just remember watching it and just thinking like, I don't uh, get it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I yeah no I understand that it's like it's interesting it's like something that I haven't really uh, seen too much before I understand like there's a lot of like big things happening here but I'm not like in love with it. And I just remember mm-hmm. my, my first thought with it was that I felt guilty that I didn't enjoy myself. Um, and I think this is going to be a, uh, a kind of a reoccurring theme with like the first couple of years um, because I haven't done a very good job at going back and rewatching movies uh, that I watched when I was like a teenager. But I know that they're going to obviously hit different. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I was really worried about rewatching There Will Be Blood um, because I was like, what happens if that moment doesn't come not that it matters that you like enjoy movies that other people uh do because that's stupid and you shouldn't really care too much about that Mm -hmm. uh but it just it seemed like something that i kind of wanted to get into so much that i was worried that if i didn't i would be like i wouldn't be able to kind of like um uh put into words uh why that happened right right Uh, so i I was a little bit nervous uh kind of watching it so my my first thought would all those years ago when I was uh, 16 and watching it was that uh, I didn't really understand it. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really kind of get what it was saying. And I was uh, kind of a little bit worried uh, to say, you know, but beyond simple things that like, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis is a great actor, which obviously I think that's pretty hard to argue against. Uh, <laughs> so beyond like simple, simple things like that, uh, I didn't really know what to say with it. So uh, first takes for me uh, was a little bit of confusion, uh, a little bit of uh, self-doubt. And uh, and just kind of happy that I uh, rediscovered it uh, years later. And then I got to watch it with you because it's easy to bounce ideas off people then. Right. I know it was funny um, because was, uh, when we were watching it, I kept like we kept pausing it to like look at each other and be like, mm-hmm. I get this. Right. Because <laughs> uh, like, yeah, like, oh, man, capitalism. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, and and it, like normally I wouldn't ever do that, but it was actually kind of like exciting. Uh, yeah. Just because so much of the movie was, like, like, burned in my brain. Yes. uh, But I didn't know, like, I couldn't piece it all together into, like, uh, you know, some themes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can I can I piggyback off something that you just said? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll slingshot myself up with with the next one, which is the double takes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Watching it, because I just watched it last night before we recorded it. Oh, no! And even though this episode, episode, this episode is going to come out uh, a little bit later, obviously, uh, but you know, going on worldwide, uh, we are in the middle of America officially leaving Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Um, And that just made me think uh, a whole lot more uh, about uh, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, and kind of uh, American uh, capitalist expansion and imperialism in the Middle East and its relationship. And it's like direct ties uh, towards oil. Right. Right. And I just thought that, you know, uh, There Will Be Blood comes out 2007. Uh, the war in Afghanistan begins in 2001. Uh, invasion of Iraq is uh, 2003, I believe. Yeah. And so we are about, you know, a good five years into kind of this um, uh, this idea that America is playing like world police. 
uh, mm-hmm. in, in the Middle East and everything. And there's all these like intentions why they're there. And we're just starting to learn that there is actually no weapons of mass destruction. And we're actually starting to learn that, you know, the, um, uh, that uh, it's not going to be as easy as uh, it was said before to like hold and fortify uh, Kabul and uh, the rest of Afghanistan. It, this is, it's becoming a quagmire before everybody's eyes. Right. And I think that uh, a movie like There Will Be Blood, which is so like intertwined with the idea of uh, oil extraction and kind of like mineral extraction. And just, and just American the, exceptionalism in general. Exactly. And kind of that the only way to kind of like move forward is through this very set uh, economic and social principles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it really captures that really well. And I think that it shows kind of what America was built on. And then we can kind of get that direct connection to what's going on today. America's continuing to do that, but just in a different uh, uh, hemisphere, basically, uh, hmm. and continuing that on. Uh, so th- to me, that really kind of like drilled that home. Uh, oh, that was a pun. I didn't even ah! realize it. Uh, it really kind of uh, made me uh, feel about that. Um, and just kind of the lengths that people will go um, to kind of make that happen. Because Daniel Plainview is like, he's basically a general with no army, right? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. He, yeah, like watching him kind of accrue land. He doesn't do it with soldiers. He doesn't do it with, uh, with guns and, and uh, weapons. But, I mean, he uses threats. Uh, he... Um, lies. He kind of people disappear. He bullies people. Yep, people disappear. Um, and it's not always like physical threats, but it's like the idea of like you'll be left behind. You won't be able to, um, you know, enjoy uh, what I'm going to bring to your town if you don't let me do this thing. Uh, so in a way, he is like he is doing what like all you know when you learn about generals and you learn about war through history. He's doing what everybody's been doing uh, in his expansion. He just does it in a in a different way and he is ruthless it is uncomfortable watching it mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're older and you and you realize like all the um the smaller things that he does uh and the ways that he kind of like holds people's families or their dire situations over them when he uses his power it is uh it is really really unsettling uh and it, it's it's kind of hard to watch without squirming at times uh just and i mean how how well he plays it. sorry go ahead yeah i know i think i think unsettling is is uh how i felt like when i first watched it too and didn't i, I really know what that meant to be mm-hmm. like unsettled um sorry I, I i don't have anything to add to your discussion about uh no, okay. at the moment because i, I <laughs> uh, it's hard to like view it through like when you watch it is important and so like when you and i last watched it in october 2020 you know, we're in the middle of, like, the second wave in Ontario for COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it just to hang out before your wedding. I didn't do anything for two weeks, and I didn't do anything for two weeks after. Uh, mm-hmm. So I could go to your wedding, right? Because, uh, mm-hmm. like, you know, and, like, mm-hmm. the sacrifices that, that were made over the last uh, year and a bit, I couldn't. Um, and, and we're both in this situation now where we're, like, you know, we're, ready, we're starting our families and we want to buy a house and like yeah. we just can't because mm-hmm. uh, houses are capital also and mm-hmm. like, that was like not houses are capital also wasn't the thing that was going through my mind it just like didn't make sense the the how the wealthy continue to gain so much extra wealth and regardless of what's happening like it yeah, just and it's matter. really interesting that that you said that because it's like I know that you were just kind of like riffing when you said uh, housing is is capital as well. But you see, like 
in his uh, kind of like uh, expansion as like Daniel Plainview uh, grows. He just sees people. I mean, he talks all the time about how he just sees people and he doesn't see anything worth liking, right? <laughs> that right. hatred inside of him. He just hates humanity. Uh, but he just sees like people's farms and people's like land and all their dreams and everything as just a, you know, an inconvenience or a stepping stone. And like uh, a to means accrue to what he wants. Yeah, like a means to an end. His end. Yeah, and he... Sure. Yeah, his ends, right? Because he knows that whatever he's paying them is not worth their value uh, in mm-hmm. the land. And the sad thing is, like, most of them know as well. Like, they're like, I know that there's oil underneath me. I know that I'm literally sitting on a gold mine, but mm-hmm. I'll sell it off for a couple hundred dollars. I, I think, like, a bunch of them sold for, like, 6 to $10 an acre, which, of course, like, 100 years wow. ago was more money, but still nothing. Um, and right. they were willing to do that just in hopes that, literally that wealth would trickle down from people like Daniel Plainview and hopefully help their town out enough. But of course, all that they're Mm -hmm. signing themselves up for is, you know, exploitation and maybe an opportunity uh, to, to better their lives, but nothing is guaranteed at all. Yeah. Nothing's guaranteed. And yeah, like uh, it's this weird conundrum I'm having lately. It's like, uh, apparently at some point I signed up, to be exploited for the rest of my life by someone like <laughs> yeah. Daniel Plainview, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know when I agreed to this, but apparently I did. Um, and like, mm-hmm. at least those people can agree, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, John, it was one of those uh, forms that we signed in like grade one. We just <laughs> you should have read it. I, it's on you. It's uh, yeah. It's all, it's all my fault. I don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah, he's just, like, it's interesting to, like, put a face, maybe, to, like, uh, someone who is so single-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know if, if like, you can, that was, like, my second uh, viewing, second, t- what, what, can you name the three things again? Part one, part two. Oh, part I just three. said, uh, first thoughts, double takes, and three takeaways. Okay, so if I can, like to end the, the double takes and go to my three takeaways. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that like the, the, especially not understanding the ending when I was younger is like, I think it, when the movie ends now as like a 29, 30 year old, I'm like, what's mm-hmm. the point of cap? Like he, <laughs> right. He, he, he does all of these horrible things to so many people to get more money to sit alone in his house mm-hmm. in like a bowling alley and not bowl and he's still mad at the same people he was mad at before he had all this wealth like Mm -hmm. he 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 like he seeks vengeance for his inconvenience Mm -hmm. and exactly what what was the point Mm -hmm. i I think one of my favorite (laughs) things about this and i'll maybe um kind of expand on this in a little bit i what I really like about Paul Thomas Anderson as a director is that his uh, sometimes I feel like he is low key trying to create like a comedy at times right, okay, with yeah. a lot of different things. Because there's some like really funny moments in there will be blood, just like a couple line readings or uh-huh. a couple of actions that I'm like, this is just funny. Sure. Uh, but you're you're so like conditioned to think of a movie uh, of this movie in this certain way. Uh, it's an epic it drama like, on the right, american frontier connect. 
Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't connect on like the first watching or something like that. But you're like, no, this is like, this is kind of funny. And if you like kind of separate yourself from it, uh, there's a couple things that, uh, uh, that are really ha- hilarious. One of the things is him uh, shooting things in his house. Uh, do you remember <laughs> that scene? Yeah. That's when we cut from his time out in the oil field to him in his mansion. Uh, a raging alcoholic, barely able to stand up. And he's just basically taking pot shots down his hall. Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, you know, maybe we could mine that for a little bit more depth because uh, he, he goes like quail hunting earlier in the movie and stuff. Maybe that's him trying to like relive his, his old days or something. Well, but, I mean, I th- there's um, no there's no quail left for him to hunt. I no, exactly. But, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and we could read into that more, but it's also just hilarious because that is such like a depraved uh you know multi-millionaire uh alone in his mansion thing to do right you know there are like accounts of like you know uh insane multi-millionaires like the duponts and stuff doing that type of thing Mm -hmm. and i just think it's like that just feels like you know it just feels part of the uh the multi-million uh millionaire american experience i love it well i mean like he (laughs) couldn't uh yet travel to space so you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what else are you going to do if you can't yeah. hover around the edge of space uh, yes. for 11 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and Very not true. become an astronaut just for the record, because NASA changed the definition of astronaut. Uh, and oh. uh, yeah, like a week before uh, Bezos went up. Uh, I didn't know that. So what, what yeah. does Jeff Bezos uh, account for? Uh, I what, just, what? He just went on a flight, I think. Uh, like, like he's uh, just a ast- knot. Yeah. Like, <laughs> A not not. Uh, yeah, no, like uh, you have to go like a certain number of kilometers from the surface of the Earth, uh, in order for it to be considered like space flight. It was some like just like very menial. I, I mean, not menial, but like some trolling I think from NASA or someone at uh, the space agency somewhere. They decided that uh, you know going up and uh, yeah, it, it, I don't remember why some definition. Well, whoever did that uh is uh deserves a raise in whatever they were uh (laughs) whatever they were doing and you know it's interesting interesting john that you mentioned uh jeff bezos Mm. our lord and savior uh if he's watching uh i will take bezos dollars if uh, Mm. i will plug amazon basically is what i'm saying i will call bezos bucks just bezos bucks yes yeah Uh, yeah exactly i will sell out Mm -hmm. for goods and services yes all goods (laughs) Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think very infamously, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, said before, you know, he, he thanked, uh, the Amazon employees and customers, uh, because he said without you, and I'm going to, I'm probably, I'm going to mess up this quote, yeah. uh, but it was straight, straight supervillain talk. Uh, he <laughs> said something along the lines of, uh, thanks to, you know, I wouldn't have been able to get to space without you. You're the reason that we're, we're here. Right. Hooray. Um, hooray. Yeah. We and it just it. made me think of. Just how quickly um, his exploitation of his workers are pushed aside uh, in, in There Will Be Blood. It, it sure. Just, because it's brutal. Like, I always forget about these things because they, like, they happen very quickly. And I, which I like because it shows, like, uh, Daniel Plainview's, um, you know, when that one guy uh, dies in as well. Uh, at the very... Um, like, right at the start. Uh, like uh, sorry, not the one at the start, but the, the second death. Oh, that that happens, right? He sees it as an inconvenience, right? Because right. now he has to deal with Eli and the church, and he sees it as an inconvenience, oh. uh, slowing down his workers. 
Right. And it's, yeah, and it was like, that wasn't his first concern. He was like, oh man, I'm going to have to deal with this. Okay, let's move on past it as, as quickly as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, uh, to go back to what you said about the uh, the worker dying in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, that just reminded me of basically like, uh, I, I forget what the official term for it is. Is it like survivor bias or something? Uh, it might be. I don't know what you're talking about yet. Oh, sorry. Okay, so at the <laughs> beginning, uh, for <laughs> in the uh, early shots, okay, uh, Daniel Plainview and another worker are in the middle of the well, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a slippage of uh, something falls into the well. I think it's a beam. Right, uh, and just and crushes it, it. Yeah, and it crushes the man standing beside Daniel Plainview. Yeah, it's like a horrible okay. shot. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, brutal, and you kind of really get uh, Anderson does it like a really good job of like you feel the thud of it, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so Daniel Plainview, obviously very fortunate to be alive in this situation. Um, to me, it reminded me of like how a lot of people, if they succeed in a game or they mm-hmm. succeed in a, in a system uh, and somebody else doesn't, they're just like, oh, it's because I worked harder for it. Yeah. When, and, and that's kind of where the survivor bias comes in. Because if, you know, it hits a rock slightly differently as it's coming down and it crushes Daniel Plainview, maybe the guy standing beside him has the same feelings. Right. right. Maybe he goes on to immense wealth and he has the same feelings about it uh, as uh, uh, as Daniel Plainview does. And uh, coincidentally, we should mention that, like, you know, the guy who died, his his son is uh, is basically I was going to say adopted, but really kind of co-opted uh, by Daniel Plainview <laughs> to represent himself as more as a family man. Right. And then just like cast yeah. aside when it's not yeah. needed anymore. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, for those who haven't seen it, his son, who is legitimately, I think, like, brings him happiness at times. Um, or at least, yeah. Yeah, but he yeah no, I'm money being too yet. fair. You, yeah, you're being <laughs> that, too kind. So he doesn't, he doesn't have enough money yet. And that's when uh, right. he's likes hanging out with his son. Um, yeah. And, and, like, the more money he accumulates, the, like, uh, less he enjoys other people including his quote-unquote son that you know that is a really good point okay so maybe i need to to reframe this i think that he enjoys the idea of being able to um put on uh or uh, i guess maybe pass on his legacy he likes that idea mm-hmm. right uh and to a point that his uh his adopted son hw uh eventually unfortunately uh, there's an accident and he loses his sense of hearing right he becomes deaf um Daniel Plainview does nothing, like absolutely nothing to try and communicate with him or uh, better his thing. The thing that really kind of hit me on this walk is like he doesn't even do any sign language, like at all. Uh, Towards the end of the film, like he would have had about 20 years to practice it with his son. (laughs) Right. Uh, And obviously they've drifted apart. And he doesn't even know like a single, he doesn't even attempt to do a single hand gesture. Or no, makes even fun a single of sign, or, and makes fun of him for it. Yeah, exactly. And that like hit particularly hard uh, this time watching because it's just the contempt from him is uh, for anybody that's a burden on him is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, it's like, um, like obviously he doesn't understand his privilege either. Mm-hmm. That he has like as someone who can communicate without using his waving his hands yes. around or whatever the quote is um like he doesn't understand uh that like other people have feelings you know mm-hmm. like uh yeah, if, literally if yeah literally uh, yeah um yeah 
I actually, the, my, my second takeaway is actually about his son. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, go I, for it. I got, so I, I'll, I'll do both my last two takeaways and then, and then I'll let you Yeah, see. you do it, yeah. And then I'll wrap um, up, yeah. So um, he has been like dating or married to Maya Rudolph since like 2001, he being Paul Thomas Anderson, sorry. Yep. Um, and so they had their Always first. Always the weirdest celebrity couple for me, sorry. It's, oh yeah, it's um, well. I don't. Maybe that's where, like, you know, some. Maybe he's actually. But, but this really is why I think maybe he's actually a lot funnier. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because uh, well, Maya Rudolph funny. is one of the funniest people on earth. Sure. No. Agreed. One hundred percent. Just like. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. What? Do, what do they talk about? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, that's not what I want to talk about. But uh, so they actually had their first daughter. Uh, she was born in two thousand five. Mm. And then they started filming early 2006 for their World mm-hmm. One. And so I, I was just curious, like, how you feel about the fatherhood aspect of this movie. Like, just, like, being a parent. Because I think the, like, the mm. I abandon my boy scene yeah. is, um, is a really powerful scene um, mm-hmm. where he... Seems like he'll do anything to convince the people of the town that he yeah. uh, needs to atone for something. Yeah. Um, he, like he, it's it's one of the only times where he like admits that maybe he did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. then, clearly based on how you know the scene when uh, his son has grown up at the end of the movie when he's shooting uh, around his house. Uh, clearly he doesn't like mm-hmm. uh, actually feel any of the things that he expressed in like the most emotional scene yeah um, yeah and, I, and i'm just curious that, like how do you think like, and well, neither of us are parents but like how do you think that like uh what's going on in paul thomas anderson's life at the time influences some of the well, that's really good. I know that none of us are parents, uh, John, but I do have a dog, so it's basically the oh, same man. thing. Right? <laughs> no, I mean that's like a hundred percent the same thing. Yeah, exactly. If anything, you it's know, like harder than walk, a child, but that's yeah. You, know, you gotta walk your child, and you gotta pick up its poop, and you have to right, your exactly. feed it at the same time every day. And that it's the same thing. Brutal. It is exactly a hundred percent, and uh, <laughs> I just made a lot of people angry. Uh, the well, all forty-seven yeah. followers. Are all 197 Jeff Bezoses who listen. Um, the yeah, no, that's a, actually a really good point. I think that it probably helped him um, really kind of define and maybe make the father-son relationship like a lot more uh, believable, mm-hmm. um, and really helped to kind of uh, pull that out. Because I'm thinking back to some of uh, PTA's earlier works. He's dealt with like family issues a lot, especially in a movie mm-hmm. like Magnolia, which is fantastic. I still um, haven't seen Magnolia. I know you haven't seen it. And, you uh, tell and me your, every time. your doppelgangers in there. Tom Cruise. I, well, yeah. It's one of his best best roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tom Cruise in there, he has a very difficult relationship with his father, played by Jason Robards. Uh, it's a great ensemble cast. Uh, but I always felt it was a little, a little melodramatic, right? It's a little over the top. It's, um, it doesn't have the same sort of like feeling uh of uh you know everything with them is kind of like a battle in magnolia they're all shouting at each other it's a lot of emotions that sort of thing i really like how 
and this is going to tie into my last point, but I'll save that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like how um, Daniel Day-Lewis or Daniel Plainview, I should say, sorry, and HW, they just kind of exist together. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate about the movie because they don't constantly have to be in communication. They don't uh, constantly have to be, do- they just like are with each other. Right. That's true. And I, and I think that maybe, you know, maybe like a little bit, um, uh, maybe a little bit of that with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's actual life kind of allowed him to maybe hone in on that a little bit more and make it a more uh, realistic dynamic uh, mm. between the two. Because I really like that that connection. Because uh, you can see that H.W. looks up to uh, uh, Daniel quite a bit. Uh, and Daniel obviously cares about H.W. probably for his own selfish reasons, right? But nonetheless still cares about him Yeah, uh, uh, to an maybe, extent. So, like... Maybe it's that he's probably the only human connection that he cares about. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yes. And and, like, what I was going to say is like, he's not corrupted enough yet Mm -hmm. by his uh, accumulation of wealth uh, to, to have contempt Mm -hmm. for somebody else. Yeah. That's interesting. It's just like kind of unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or at least the closest that he can get to it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. What what is uh, your, what was uh, your... your sorry, you go. Did you have a, a last take? Yeah, it was it, so it's also about his son and it's just like uh something interesting uh like his adult son is played by Russell Harvard and mm-hmm. uh, I didn't realize this uh, I mean, I never would have actually recognized him the first time I watched season 1 of Fargo um because he oh. plays Yeah, so he plays yeah. um there's Mr. Wrench and Mr. Numbers, and I don't remember which one's which. One of them is Chandler's right. annoying roommate, and the other one yes, is yeah. Russell Harper. Pardon? Yeah. And no, so, I can't remember which one's which, but yeah. Yeah, right. So Mr. Numbers and Mr. Wrench, I think Wrench, uh, is uh, like, you know, a season one Fargo, very uh, easy to uh, connect with I, uh, mm-hmm. Hitman. You know, he's a heavy, right? Yeah. Uh, but really easy right. to connect with him. And Russell Harvard is deaf. He was born deaf. Uh, yes. And so that was just like, to me, such an interesting thing for Paul Thomas Anderson to like cast this person. Obviously, he just needs someone who can speak sign language. But he actually went with a mm-hmm. deaf person um, who had, was not born with the ability. Like, I mean, according to his Wikipedia page, uh, Russell Harvard yeah. like, was born deaf. So um, it's interesting that like, the relationship with his son changed and mm-hmm. the the actor who plays him at the end can't has never been able to hear like his, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that like daniel plainview has erased any good memories that he might have had of his son oh, when he could communicate with him um mm-hmm. and, and just like russell harvard was just like just you know such a great part of season one of fargo yes yeah and uh, I was just delighted to see him there again. Be like, that's the guy mm-hmm. from Fargo. You know what? And I knew that I recognized him. And you were right. It was he was Mister Wrench uh, to Wrench, Adam Goldberg's uh, Mister Number. Adam Goldberg. Uh, thank you. Yes. The yeah. only other thing I think uh, when I think of Adam Goldberg, he's in um, uh, Band of Brothers, right? And he yes. like in he's the in snow a lot of stuff. Yeah, he is in a mm-hmm. lot of stuff. He's got a fantastic beard, but uh, he. Uh, <laughs> I just remember him in the snow and Band of Brothers a lot. And just being like, I hate Chandler's annoying friend or whatever. <laughs> who, I, who, I don't even know how he's related to the rest of Friends. But, You're right. Uh, 
Right. Uh, that's uh, how Eddie, I think, I think is his name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's it. Yeah. So, uh, just like actually enjoying him being around Adam Goldberg. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're saying something about Adam Goldberg. Oh, uh, no, I was just going to bring it back to Russell Harvard. I appreciated that they got uh, somebody who was actually uh, deaf to play the role uh, right. of uh, the adult H.W. Plainview. Because it that is one of my favorite uh, scenes of the movie. Um, and it always comes up so fast. I don't know why I think... Like, the movie's long. The movie's almost like two and a half hours, right? Yes. Um, but it goes by quite quickly for, for not having like a whole bunch uh, going on. But that's always a scene that sticks out. Uh, with me is that conversation with uh, uh, with the adult HW, uh, mm-hmm. and you, because you can also see like HW, he knows that his dad is going to be taking it um, because in the film he he wants to break away and start his own company in Mexico, mm-hmm. um, and you can he knows that it's going to upset his father, right? So he mm-hmm. you can see him like already trying to like calm him down. He's like, I'm going to be in another country. Uh, I'm not going to be your competition. Uh, I want to, you know, get back out in the oil fields. I don't want to live, you know, as like basically a manager, right? He wants to do his own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can see that even though like he's not his biological son and even though uh, they've obviously drifted apart over the years, um, he, you know, yearns. He was obviously happy uh, when he was on the oil fields Mm -hmm. uh, with, uh, with Daniel. And I think that just is what makes it the most tragic. Um, if, if I could like bring it back when you were talking about the, uh, I've abandoned my boy scene. Um, I almost wonder if like, if there was like a humane part of Daniel Plainview, uh, and because he had to bear kind of his like soul, I guess you could say, or his like emotions and actually allow himself to be vulnerable, uh, in front of the Mm -hmm. whole congregation. If that's why he had to sever those ties, if he basically had to, to be, then just cutthroat about it because he can't allow himself to be that vulnerable in front of people again, because he knows that's a weakness. Hmm. Like projecting strength. Yeah. And and there we get into the foundational toxic masculinity of uh, of the, uh, the growth of America as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. Like, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's weird because this, what's so great about the Roman blood is the number of different ways that you can try and analyze like the relationships mm-hmm. and what's happening. Um, yeah. and the reason why like you keep, can keep diving in is because it's so well produced and just acted that, uh, yeah. the different layers kind of like, as you start talking about them, you, you understand them more. So sorry, it's the toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, or, pulling or yourself up understanding your straps mm-hmm. and just yes. like the understanding yeah. of that being represented in this father's yeah. relationship. Just, just the feeling that any sort of emotion uh, would kind of take away from your rationality oh, of making business decisions or um, would mean that you're not a good like disciplinarian or a good uh, father, that sort of thing. Right, because um, business is first. And right, exactly. Emotions are second. Right, if at all, yeah. So, if, I mean, yeah. And that's what I like about it, because you can read it that way. I mean, that might not be the, the way that it was intended or how it mm-hmm. comes off or anything, but... Um, you can also read it that, you know, Daniel Plainview is a, is such a sociopath, uh, that he's willing to like channel whatever fake emotions those are, uh, to convince people, Mm -hmm. um, about it. You can also read it like his chastisement, uh, in front of the church is how we like to tear down people who we feel are above us, even if it doesn't actually like physically have any material, uh, repercussions on them. Right. Right. Like 
He gets the bandy track. He builds the oil pipeline. He becomes rich beyond his wildest dreams. So he had to, you know, uh, get shamed in front of, you know, a small Sunday congregation of, of, uh, of, you know, locals, like that's, that's nothing, <laughs> but I'm sure for them, for the first time, they felt that they had some power over him, or at least Eli felt that he had some power over him. Um, we haven't talked too much about Eli. I feel bad because he's a great character as well, but, well, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, once you drink someone's milkshake, you don't really need to talk about yeah. that, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. That is what, what is, what is your, your final take my final takeaway, and this is kind of maybe a little anticlimactic, but it's just something that I really appreciated uh, watching it again, is uh, is how much time uh, the movie allows uh, to be expanded upon, uh, right? Because again, there's hmm? the script is like small. There's oh. not a lot of talking. The first like 15 to 20 minutes of the film, nobody says a word. Right. Right. Um, and that's something that it's like, if you were watching, if or sorry, I should say like when I watched it the first time, I might've been like, I don't know what's going on. I need like almost like a, like a safety raft sort of thing to like mm-hmm. help me through this because I'm like, what's going on. But if you kind of like just sit back and you kind of uh, get relaxed, there's some like just incredible work uh, that happens here. Like I think about the time when we uh, first meet Paul Sunday, uh, mm-hmm. he's only in one scene played by Paul Dano as well. Um, he completely blocks Kieran Hines from the shot for about mm-hmm. two minutes. Right. Uh, and then as the, as the camera moves over, you see that Karen Hines is behind there. And it's like, that is just an interesting way to introduce a character, but it's mm-hmm. also, I mean, it reinforces the idea that Daniel Plainview is, you know, so single focused, so single minded. He is like the only thing that matters, right? He is like this, this isolated individual. Um, right. That even though he has like, by all accounts, Siren Hines looks like an incredible right hand man. Right. But we yeah. never get to dive deeper into him. So he's always going to be in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, right? So just small things like that really kind of reinforce uh, the storytelling. And I really just got to say, like, the amount of effort that they put into replicating the old uh, oil derricks or mm. making things look uh, right or showing the process that they would have had to go through. Um, like when they show how they would have capped off the well before with, like, dynamite. Uh Um, and you see like people in the front, they have like this really cheap looking shield, uh, (laughs) hopefully (laughs) like, uh, and it's like, well, that's not going to do anything if it blows up early. And then you feel a sense of dread, but then you're like, okay, I see why they did this. It just gave me like a better appreciation. Um, apparently like Paul Thomas Anderson and other screenwriters, they went down to like these oil museums in Texas and they, and they kind of watched it. Uh, they did like months of research and it really shows. And I think that like, if, Paul Thomas Anderson wasn't as famous as he was at that point. If that's like his second or third film, mm-hmm. I feel like they would be like, okay, this is a, this is a, you know, a bloated two and a half hour film. You got to cut it down. And I can see a lot of areas where they could have cut down and, and kind of save some, uh, some time on. Uh, but I'm really happy that they didn't. So mm-hmm. taking your time, telling a story and kind of structuring it in that way, I thought it was really interesting and really mm-hmm. enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, you got the story took that long to tell, I think. Yeah. Uh, like, I think we would have uh, missed out on some of, like, um, the struggle of Daniel Plainview at the start. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think it's Stephen King who said something like, you have to show people, like, readers love uh, just reading about, like, what someone does every day at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, yeah. including that in his stories. And he, he does it all the time. Read much of his uh, 
novels and uh like what someone actually spends their time doing all day is somehow mm. interesting kind of like time loop movies you know like yeah uh, yeah you get that familiarity and um it, in this case it, it greatly helps tell the story yeah i i absolutely agree and i think in that ways i mean like uh at the beginning of his career paul thomas anderson was always compared to like martin scorsese basically and robert altman those mm. were like his two and the background on PTA is like this guy was considered like a wonderkind uh, from his start, right? He was like this new voice that was going to take over cinema. Uh, so he was pretty hot stuff for like over a decade at this point, even though he was only like in his early 30s. Uh, but uh, really, I mean, watching this movie again, this is probably the best non Stanley Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick movie that I've <laughs> ever seen. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it. it it's uh it's fantastic the way and just like kubrick would take his time on certain shots or um have maybe like uncomfortable silences or you know the opening to there will be blood reminds me a lot of 2001 mm-hmm. uh, uh, famous opening and everything you could go on and on about this but like i, I think we're gonna have to cut it off here because we're getting to the hour mark oh uh, well. but again you know take your time telling the stories and if uh, a movie doesn't really like grasp you in the first couple seconds give it a little bit of time i think uh was my main takeaway and i'm happy that i got to watch it again mm-hmm. uh, yeah I'm just, i might go watch it now yeah <laughs> well uh john that leaves us with uh one more question before we go mm. okay does there will be blood i think we know the answer to this does it make the cut uh and stay on the uh the five nominated films of 2007 absolutely not. absolutely i think so as well and i, mean, I said absolutely into, like, not the, Oh, absolutely not. That's embarrassing. It was a terrible joke, uh, but it was really embarrassing wow. the way you barreled right through it. Yeah. Well, I was obviously not actually listening to what you wanted to answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why, you know, you've got your first impressions and then you have your second options and you have your three takeouts, yeah. right? That's that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, everyone. There you go. We get started with an absolute bona fide classic here with There Will Be Blood. It, of course, no matter what John was joking about back there, is going to make the best picture list. But will it win? Only time will tell. Before we discover who's going to walk away with the best picture uh, win for that year, we're going to have to get through the other nominees as well. So next week, we are going to stay with the period piece uh, theme, uh, but we're going to be jumping across the pond here for Joe Wright's Atonement. Starring James McAvoy, Keira Knightley, and almost every other British actor or actress that you uh, know about uh, before they got their big break. So this is a star-studded cast. I'm very excited to talk about Atonement, and I hope that you are too. If you have any suggestions, any thoughts, comments, likes, dislikes about Atonement, please don't hesitate to send them our way. You can always reach us at mmmovies.ca. That is mmmovies.ca. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at mmmovies3, where you can also drop maybe a little bit of a hint maybe a little bit of a uh, suggestion on what we should be drinking for atonement because i'm kind of out of ideas at this point so if you could help us out that would be greatly appreciated any other concerns likes dislikes anything that you would like to see maybe even a bonus episode if uh on a movie that you really like uh just let us know and we are more than happy to help you out well that does it for episode number one here at reeling in the years on behalf of john and myself i want to thank you all again for listening you can find our work again at mmmovies.ca where we will be posting a brand new reel in the years every friday 
We hope to see you then, and as always, thank you for helping us dust off the gems and kick out the trash to find the snubs and flubs of Oscar Night's past. Have a great week, and keep watching.